The following sermon is from the United Church of Tishomingo. Good morning to all of you, and thank you for joining us. As many of you know, we are in a special time of the year when it comes to events that mark the Christian calendar. We are one week away from the celebration of Easter, when Christians worldwide celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And we celebrate that because it marks the tremendous hope that we as Christians have in what God has promised us when it comes to our eternal destination. It is indeed a time for joyous celebration. But I want to begin today's message by saying that we will never truly appreciate Easter and we will not be able to grasp the enormity of this event if we do not first understand why Jesus had to die in the first place. And I'm gonna say something here that you are warned to never say whenever you are giving a talk to a group of people. But I have to say this because it's true. And that is, many of you will probably not really like what today's message is about. It's not gonna be what a lot of people wanna hear. But if we do not deal with the heart and the truth of this matter, we will never ever be able to truly understand or appreciate the magnitude of what really happened at Easter and why that should truly be the time of our greatest celebration. And so today we're gonna to talk about why we even need an Easter in the first place. And we're gonna discuss the true cost of sin. So before you turn me off here, I'm gonna ask you to bear with the message today and hang in there. Because if you will, I promise you that between this week's message and next, you'll come away with a deeper and a more beautiful appreciation of just what Jesus has done for us and why we celebrate that and what our lives should look like because of that now. So for those of you that are brave enough to, to hang in there and stay with me, let's look at why what we will celebrate next week at Easter really is such a big deal. I want to begin today actually where I left off last week. Last week, some of you, if you were here, you remember that I used an illustration in my sermon that really generated a lot of response. Uh, I received a lot of messages from people who were touched by this story that I shared. And if you were here and remember it, I'm gonna beg your patience because I'm gonna share it again. Because it lays the foundation for today's message and I need to use it as kind of a springboard to dive into today's message about the enormity of what Jesus really did for us. So last week, if you remember, I shared with you how last summer Jeannie and I, and we took three other teachers with us, went to Ghana on a kind of an educational slash missionary journey that lasted a little bit more than a month. I may have, we may have a picture that's loaded up that you can kind of see and get an idea. If it will load, fine. If it won't load, that's fine. But um, we took this trip to Ghana. There you go. You can, you can kind of see just a little picture of where we were. And... Um, we literally traveled more than half of the country on this trip. But the first part of our journey, we traveled way out west, almost to the Ivory Coast. It was 17 hours by car in some of the toughest traveling conditions that I've ever endured. And we were there to do professional development at a college of education that was developed by a member of parliament. And there you can see uh, some of the buildings and some of the, some of the people that were there literally a couple hundred teachers from all around the region. And when they come, they have to bring their kids and their family. There's no such thing as daycare, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And so 
One day we're there outside the main building between sessions and we're sitting in a little covered porch area and it's hot and it's dusty and all the little kids are playing and running around and these two little girls come up to where we are. They're probably six or seven years old and tattered dresses and you know, no shoes and just beautiful smiles, you know, beautiful little children. And one of the ladies that was with us, Catherine, um, had some gum. She reached down in her backpack and she pulled out some gum. And it was one of those little bitty pieces you've seen them of, of trident. And so she takes one out and she hands it to one of those little girls. And that little girl just gets this big smile on her face when Catherine hands her that gum. And she unwraps it. And the very first thing she does is immediately tear it in two and gives half of that piece of gum to her friend. And I'm, I'm looking at that unfold before my eyes, and I'm just sitting there almost in awe that there's this little girl who basically has nothing, and she's handed a, a little small piece of gum, and all she has is one piece, and yet immediately the first thing she thinks of is to give her friend half of it. And I'm still touched by that, and evidently so were many of you. But as I began to receive a lot of messages of your responses to that story this week, my mind immediately went to the thought of just what Jesus did for you and for me. You see, what that little girl did was cute and it was beautiful and it was commendable and all of that. But for me, it did not just become some cute little story, you know, that I decided to tuck away for some future sermon illustration, but rather this act of love profoundly impacted, impacted and influenced my life. And I heard from several of you who said the same type of thing. There was a kind of a common thread in many of your messages to me, and it went sort of like this. Lord, grant me the spirit of that little girl. Lord, grant me to love people like she showed that love for her friend. And to that sentiment, I say, amen. But what I want to ask you to consider today is this. Where does that type of spirit originate from in the first place? And just how do we go about getting to the place where we can exhibit that same type of love in our lives on a daily basis? And the answer, of course, we know lies in Jesus. You see, many years ago, I was approached by someone about taking my very first trip to Africa. I was made aware of the tremendous suffering and the tremendous need of so many people over there, the sickness, the disease, the pain, the poverty. And I was all of a sudden confronted with the fact that in the abundance of things in my life that I'd been blessed with, I had the ability to go and help others who were in desperate need if I would just choose to do so. And so through the conviction of God's Spirit stirring my soul, I went, and my life has never been the same. And where this type of spirit comes from is actually written down for us in God's Word. It's in the book of Philippians chapter 2. And I want to read that today. I want to start in verse 5, Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5, and I want to read six or seven verses. And you can follow along or just listen. But this book, Philippians, was written to Christians, and here's what the Apostle Paul says. He says, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. And he took the form of a bondservant and was made in the likeness of a man. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, 
God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus Christ every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So then, my beloved, that's you and me, just as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but even now in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, somewhere in the past, Jesus, God the Son, was sitting on his rightful throne in heaven with all the riches and power and blessings of heaven at his beck and call, at his immediate disposal, whatever he desired, all that is good was his. But as he looked down upon this world, he saw our pitiful condition, the pain, the sorrow, the fear, the confusion, the death, and the sin that was responsible for all of it. And he knew that as God, he was the only one who had the resources and the help and the answers to our hopeless condition. And so out of his great love and compassion, he chose for a time to put all of his blessings aside and take on the body and the life of a man so that he could come to us and do for us what we could not do for ourselves. Because you see, our biggest problem is sin. You see, the Bible very clearly teaches that our sin separates us from God. And when we are separated from God, all these other ills will follow us because sin is the source of all problems. And so ultimately, it's sin that leads to eternal death. And that leads us to be separated from the author and giver of life because God's holy and he's pure and he cannot be in the presence of sin. And people with sin in their life cannot dwell in the presence of a holy and a perfect God. And so because of our sin, we're hopeless and lost. But Jesus, because of his great love for us, came in the form of a man so he could pay the price that we couldn't afford to pay. Because sinful man cannot pay for his own sins, no matter how many good things you try to do to make up for it, because only a sinless person can pay for our sins. And so here's the illustration. If it's the second time, I apologize, but bear with me. Let's say that one day someone comes to you and they have this amazing business deal that they're willing to let you in on. Maybe you've been offered something like that before, but for some reason you think it sounds like a good deal. So you quit your job and you go full time into making this venture work and you scrape together every penny you have into invest into this deal because when it comes together, you know you're going to be on easy street for the rest of your life. But after a few months, it starts to become apparent that things aren't quite like what you thought they were going to be. And this great deal isn't quite what you were led to believe it was. And in just a matter of a few short months, the whole scheme goes belly up. And now you have no job, no money, no way to support yourself. You can't support your family. You can't make your house payment, your car payment. You can't even buy groceries. I mean, you're totally bankrupt. And the one thing that you need is the very thing you don't have, money. You got a debt you can't pay and you're totally broke. And the only hope you have is that someone who does have some money might step in and help you out because no matter how much you wish you could, you can't pay your debt because the very thing you need is the very thing you don't have. Now stay with me. Sin is just like that. Sin is where Satan comes to us and he tempts us. 
And he makes us an offer that seems like on the surface that's going to be fun and pleasurable and like it might be a pretty good deal. But in the end, what it really needs leads to is brokenness and death. And unlike the business deal where you only need money to pay your debt, when it comes to sin, the Bible says it costs you your life. As a matter of fact, Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin, the cost of sin is death. Now listen carefully. We may be able to find some banker somewhere who would be willing to loan us some money for a time to help us climb out of our financial debt. But where are we going to find someone who's actually willing to give up their very life, the only life they have to deliver us from spiritual debt? Because the only acceptable price for sin in God's economy is a righteous life. And that's the very thing we don't have. Because our sin has made us unrighteous and sentenced us to death. And so we hear the story of that little girl who took her only stick of gum and gave her friend half and we're amazed and we're touched and we're moved. But then we come to this time of the year when we enter the season in which we commemorate the fact that Jesus, who only had one life, just like the rest of us, gave it all, even to the point of death, so that he could pay for the sins we committed. And it doesn't seem to move a whole lot of people these days. And that's sad. I know some people get it. I realize it's not everybody. But for the most part, the vast majority of people in our world today hardly even give this a second thought or even care. I want you to do something with me this morning, if you would. I can't see you. I don't know if you're doing this or not. But I'm going to ask you to close your eyes for just a minute, right where you are at home. And I'm going to ask you to imagine in your mind someone who is very dear and precious to you. Would you do that for me? Your mom your dad, your child, maybe a sibling, best friend, someone, you got someone, someone you love with all your heart. All right, think about them for just a second. All right. Now I want you to imagine that tomorrow you find out they're gone, taken, because of someone else's carelessness. Some drunk driver hit them. Someone was texting and driving. Somebody did something really foolish and the person that was doing the foolish stuff, they survive and your loved one's gone. Think about that for a second. How are you going to feel about that? How are you going to react to that? How does that make you feel? Well, that's exactly what happened to the only son of God. Jesus literally, because of our carelessness and our sin, because of what we did, cost him his life. Because the only acceptable price for our sin is a righteous life. As a matter of fact, I want to read you exactly what happened. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. Listen to what this says. It says, And He, God, made Him Jesus. And He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Friend, Sin matters. Forgiveness is not free. It costs the precious life of Jesus Christ. And just because you may even be saved does not mean that sin no longer hurts. Just because we may be saved doesn't mean that our sin just disappears up into the air somewhere. But sin hurts and it grieves God. I want you to read with me today another passage of Scripture. 
Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30. Look what this says. This was written to the Ephesian church, the church at Ephesus, to Christians. And look what it says. It says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now listen. If it were not possible to grieve our Heavenly Father, then there would be no need for a command not to. And that word for grieve there in the Greek language is a word that literally means deep sorrow. It is a command to Christians to not do things that would bring sorrow and grief to our Father. And if you look at the context of this verse, you can read it sometime. Mark it down, but it's Ephesians 4, verses 28 through 32. It gives us a list of these things that bring deep sorrow to our God. Things like stealing, lying, filthy talk, malice, slander, not treating each other with kindness. They're all there. You can read them. In other words, friends, sin still hurts God. It grieves the Spirit of God every time. And in our time, we've made it such a little thing, and it's not. You know, I hear people say, well, we're okay because Jesus paid for our sins. He paid for our past sins and our present sins and even our future sins. We're good. He knew all along we were going to sin. And while all of that's true, those sins are still a part of that price He paid and the agony He experienced and the suffering and the shame He endured. And those future sins were still a part of that. And they were and are not a small deal. Yes, He paid for that, but He also suffered. And what you are doing right now, even if you're saved, but if you're living in sin and taking it matter-of-factly, you are grieving God and causing Him great sorrow. And that's not okay. I know God loves us. I know God forgives us. But that doesn't make it okay. Because sin matters. And it hurts the very one who gave His perfect and righteous life to pay for the sin I couldn't afford to pay for. Now, I'm going to close this today with another true story. This is a true story, not just preacher talk. I debated whether or not to share this with you because to be honest, I'm ashamed of telling this story. It's about me. And it's not good. But I decided that in full disclosure and open honesty, I'm going to share this painful story with you because it perfectly illustrates what I'm trying to share today. About five years ago, my father was dying. It was a horrible situation. For years, my father had terrible degenerative back issues and pain. He lived in constant agony. You know, they put one of those stimulators in and that didn't help much. And he took tons of pain medicines and they may have caused more problems than they solved. Some of you may know what I'm talking about. Then later on, he was diagnosed with very advanced Parkinson's. They caught it really late because he didn't have the tremors and all that stuff, you know. So because of that, he got where he couldn't swallow. You know, he would aspirate on his food. They finally had to put a feeding tube in. And he was like in and out of hospitals and rehabs and nursing homes. I mean, you just you couldn't take care of him. He wouldn't sleep. He was in constant pain. He couldn't shave himself. He couldn't go to the bathroom by himself. I mean, it was horrible, horrible. But through all of this living hell, he never lost his mind. And so he was fully aware of everything that was going on 
And man, that was bad. One day, towards the very end, my dad was in a place over in Denison. And I went over there most days to check on it. This particular time, it was in the evening, and it was finally time for him to go to bed and for me to come home. Now, for me to get him just out of the chair and into bed was literally a 30-minute ordeal. I mean, I had to help him up. He, I mean, just, you know, dead weight. Couldn't get up out of the chair. And we had to painstakingly make ourselves our way over to the bed. Then we had to sit down just right on the edge of the bed where I could get his clothes off and, you know, help him get his bed clothes on. It took forever. Then I had to, you know, raise him up and, and, and move him over towards the center of the bed and then lay him down. But then I had to move around to the, to the head of the bed and reach over and, and get my arms, you know, underneath him and pull him and push him and, and, and move him around where he, you know, could finally get some relief. Then I had to get a bunch of pillows and you'd put one here and, and you'd put one there and you'd prop him up, you know, and try to get it where he could, you know, wasn't in pain and where he felt okay and hopefully maybe try to get a little sleep, you know, and had to get the covers just right. I mean, it was literally a 30-minute ordeal just to get him where he could maybe lay down and get a few minutes sleep. Well, this particular night, I'd finally got every bit of that done, got the light turned out, said goodnight, and I'm just getting ready to walk out the door. He looks at me, up at me and he says, I got to go to the bathroom. Now, I didn't yell. I didn't cuss, but I kind of lost it. And I said, Dad, you're killing me. And I knew the second that I said it, but it was too late. I, I couldn't take it back. If you could have seen the look on my dad's face, you might understand why I hesitate to tell this story. The hurt, the pain that was there in his expression, I, I honestly don't think that that memory's ever going to leave me as long as I live. I'm just telling you, I was so ashamed. Now listen, I know my dad loved me, and I know he forgives me, but I know this too. That doesn't excuse what I said, and it doesn't make it okay. And for a while, I beat myself up pretty bad. I'm not going to sit around and beat myself up for the rest of my life because that that's not what my dad or God would want me to do. But I, I did. I'm not going to live that way and beat myself up, but I did. But I'm also never going to ever do anything like that again because I've seen the pain it caused. And I will never do that to anybody again as long as I live. I warned you up front that today might not be exactly what you wanted to hear. But I also said and truly believe that until we understand the price and the weight and the consequences of our sins, the pain, the hurt, the betrayal that Jesus endured on our behalf, we will never fully understand or fully appreciate just what the celebration of Easter really means and why it is truly an event that deserves the fullness of our praise and our honor, and our gratitude, and our repentance, and our humbleness, and our amazement that God would actually do this for us. And ultimately, we have to ask ourselves, if the God of heaven would do that for me, then how should that impact my life and influence my life in what I'm willing to do for others? Because while the loving spirit of that little African girl 
was so amazing and commendable, we must never fail to recognize that it is the Spirit of Jesus that is the ultimate source of all these acts of love. If I didn't run too many of you off, then I hope you'll join me next week as we discuss the amazing gift that God was willing to give us, even though He knew what we were going to be like. The amazing gift that He was willing to give us and just how that gift can impact our lives and the lives of all those who are willing to receive it and why it truly is a time that should be celebrated with great joy and thanksgiving. Until next week, when we come together to celebrate Easter, I hope you will contemplate and think about just what your Savior, just what Jesus has done for you. And if He's not your Savior and you don't know Him, I pray that you would contemplate the fact that somebody would love you so much that He was willing to do what we talked about here today, pay the price you couldn't pay even though you deserve it because He loves us that much. Would you bow and we'll close in prayer. Father, thank You that You love us so much that even though we don't deserve it, You came and You paid the price that we couldn't pay. Your perfect, holy, righteous life You gave in our place because You didn't want to see us lost. Father, first of all, we say thank You and we praise You. We cannot imagine somebody that would do that for us. But also we say forgive us when we've taken it lightly or we've just become used to it or accustomed to it and we don't stop each day to contemplate the fact that it's amazing all that you have done and continue to do for us because of your love for us. But Father, remind us too that it's not just enough to say thank you. But we must realize that if we say thank you and mean it, we've been called to give our lives to help others see what your love is all about. And sometimes, Father, we're guilty of saying, well, they don't deserve it. They won't appreciate it. Well, sometimes we have to realize that that's who we used to be. And so, Father, help us not to say that, not to think that. But help us in the same way that you looked down on our condition and still had compassion and mercy and came to us. Help us to look at others and be compassionate and merciful and go to them. And in so doing, we don't just say thank you for your love, but we show your love to all those who desperately need to see the love of Jesus Christ. I pray that we would do this because it is what you've called us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hope you guys have a great week.